Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Double Double. I'm Kelly Hogan. Joining me as always from the lovely confines of Middletown, Connecticut, David Dixon. How's it going, Dave? Going great. Just got back from spring break and just life at Wesleyan as, uh, as usual. We also have a special guest today, friend, former college teammate of David and myself, and current graduate assistant at St. John's, Jordan Sears. Jordan, what's up? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. We're psyched you're here. We wish the Johnnies were still playing, but uh, we're glad you could join us. We want to talk to you a little bit about your first year in coaching, but first let's hit on the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Outside of Oregon, it was pretty much chalk across the board. All the favorites won in the second round. Duke did get quite the scare from UCF with Aubrey Dawkins and Taco Fall. Jordan, you guys did play Duke this year at Cameron Indoor, so you have some experience scouting and, and planning for that team. Was, was this a minor slip-up by Duke, or should there be some concern surrounding their lack of depth and lack of shooting as the tournament progresses? Yeah, so like you said, we played them earlier in the winter in the confines of Cameron, and that was a brutal basketball game for us. Um, definitely a very impressive game on their part. Um it, they they they're unbelievable. Um, the length across the board is ridiculous, and of course Zion's the real deal in my opinion. I think when you go up against a guy like Taco Fall, you know you just have to change your game plan. No matter how good you are, seven six is seven six, um, and I think they had a lot of trouble with that. Zion didn't seem to have much trouble, um, but I think the rest of them had a little bit of issues, you know, finishing on the inside or converting with their offensive rebounds. Um, so I think, I don't think this was much other than a minor slip up. I think they will be fine going forward from here. Yeah. I thought that Duke was extremely lucky to win that game. UCF was playing awesome. The combination, as Kelly mentioned, of Aubrey Dawkins and Taco Fall really, you know, controlled the game for UCF. For the most part, Dawkins hit big shot after big shot. And Duke didn't really know what to do with Taco Fall. I mean, like, what can you really do with a guy who's seven foot six? But... It was really interesting to see R.J. Barrett driving in at the end of the game and running into Taco and choosing not to shoot, which is kind of the first time we've ever seen R.J. Barrett this season be hesitant to shoot. And I guess all it takes is a seven foot six rim protector to dissuade R.J. Barrett from putting him up. But as Jordan said, Zion was awesome, proved he was the real deal again. And one point I want to make about UCF also is that their coaching strategy in this game, I loved. I thought it was absolutely awesome. In the second half, just completely daring Trey Jones and Jordan Goldwire to shoot perimeter shots by putting Taco Fall on Trey Jones. You know, Duke tried to go small, and and Coach Johnny Dawkins said, all right, go small. We're going to put Taco on Trey Jones. And let him shoot wide open three-pointers, which completely took Duke out of their flow and out of their game. And I just give credit to UCF for having the audacity to do that in such a big moment of their season. Like, try something so out there. David, I think that's like an excellent point. And listen to this stat. So, Trey Jones started the season making five of his first seven three-pointers. And since then, he's 17 for 88. Wow. 
Duke on the whole, they're 338th in the country in three-point field goal percentage. That is dreadful for a team that is considered head and shoulders above the competition just in terms of talent, athletic ability. And I'm, I'm shocked just watching this team. Coach K really only has like five or six guys that he really trusts. I think Coach K likes to rely on on his best players. You know, Zion and RJ are phenomenal, and you really can't take those guys off the floor. And even with Reddish, um, those guys are great on the offensive end. But at the same time, uh, they don't play a fundamental style of defense, but their length disrupts people. Um, and I think you have to have those guys on the court at the same time as having Trey Jones out there. Uh, because he's the head of the snake on the defensive end when he can go up there and pick up point guards and just zigzag them, knowing that he's going to have rim protectors or shot altering guys behind him. So um, I think that's just a core of guys you have to keep on the floor, regardless of depth. And of course, just having media timeouts and things like that will help him. So David, what other teams impressed you from the opening weekend? So one team that really impressed me in the opening weekend was obviously Oregon. I was in the camp all season of Oregon is not good this season, and I still don't really know if they're good or not. I think Peyton Pritchard is really good at point guard, and Lou Louis King is playing really well right now, and they have a lot of length in their shot blockers, even though Bol Bol is out for the season. But it's hard to tell whether they're good or if they're just riding an amazing hot streak. But I was incredibly impressed by Oregon beating you know last week i featured wisconsin as maybe a team that could go on a run and oregon took it to wisconsin and then they got a little lucky that they got to play uc irvine but uc irvine won 30 games this year that's not a bad team at all and they took it to them too so it'll be interesting to see them play against virginia so oregon is probably the one team that i would spotlight that i was really impressed with uh but then the team that jordan has experienced coaching against in the big east is marquette and i was stunned by their no show against murray state like i was impressed by murray state beating them by 20 points with john morant but i was also equally kind of impressed at how marquette got embarrassed because you don't usually see teams get upset in the first round through embarrassment yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I think a lot of people on my staff um, all year have highlighted the talent of Marquette, but we also said, hey, they're uh, kind of a finesse team, um, and they don't have too much depth offensively when it comes to creating their shots. Obviously, Marcus Howard's a phenomenal player, um, but Sam Hauser and his brother Joey Hauser aren't too adept at creating their own shots. So um, at times, it places a lot of stress on Marcus Howard, who's only 5'10", to go and get his shot every game. Um, we always mentioned how there's a, there's a possibility that they could get knocked out in the first round um, all year. But that matchup, when we saw it on selection Sunday, was not favorable for them, and we knew that. And we all, if we could have picked brackets, probably would have thought they were going to lose. Definitely not by that much. Um, and I think that Murray State team, I think they were really good. I think they played very well together. Um, I think I've heard one of the commentators mention how just having John Moran has made them overall a better passing and catching team altogether. They're all really good at cutting and spacing. Um, they know when John Moran gets the ball in that high pick and roll where they need to be. And in that game in particular, uh, they made shots. Uh, they were phenomenal in that game. Um, losing to Florida state by 28 didn't look so great, but you know, 
Florida State is a massive basketball team. Um, I'm not sure there was much John Morant or his team could have done in that situation because he's getting by one guy with his quickness, and then he's seeing bodies. You know, they have Kumaji, they have Kaibengeli, they have footers on footers back there. So um, I don't think I don't think Murray State's loss really hurt them that much in the eyes of other people. Um, I think that Marquette win was still phenomenal for them. Yeah, I was impressed by how much or how well Jean Morant shot the ball because we all kind of knew he was an exceptional athlete and that was kind of his calling card in terms of his NBA potential. But how well he shot the ball, even though they lost to Florida State by almost 30 points and got blown off the floor, he was five of six from three. So this is a guy who, if he can really hone that jump shot and consistently knock it down, from the NBA line, he's going to be a problem at the next level. But the, the one team I want to highlight that I thought was very impressive um, on the opening weekend, particularly in their second game, was Auburn. They came out and could not miss. They dropped 51 in the first half. Bryce Brown was lights out, 7-11 from three. He finished with 25. And, and it's definitely been a down year for Kansas and Bill Self. They, they had some top-ranked recruits who came in this year, but they really haven't lived up to expectations. But this Auburn team is hot. They've won 10 in a row, including the SEC tournament. I don't think they'll clip Carolina, but I think with their style of play, it'll be a very entertaining game. And, you know, if they get a couple lucky bounces, I wouldn't be shocked if, if they wound up in the Elite Eight and possibly even the Final Four. Yeah, it's interesting that, that you mentioned Auburn because they kind of play a similar strategy to Wofford, I feel like, where they, in order to upset a highly ranked team and when they go to play Carolina and what Wofford had to do against Kentucky was hit a lot of three-pointers. And that's Auburn's style of play. So if they're able to hit threes, they could definitely knock off Carolina, I feel like. But the last team I want to mention is Wofford. They were awesome in their first-round game against Seton Hall. I loved watching Fletcher McGee play, just the way that he would catch the ball seemingly with his body facing completely away from the basket and then in one motion catch and shoot and make so many threes. He didn't make any threes against Kentucky, but especially against Seton Hall, just watching how he would catch so off balance and yet put still such good shots up onto the rim where you felt like watching where you felt watching the game that every single shot he was taking was going in and there's not a lot of guys in college where you feel like every single shot that they take is going to go in yeah i felt like he was like a jj reddick light some of the shots he were hitting and just taking were absurd yeah but I mean, he has the record now, and the game has evolved so much over the course of the past, you know, 10 years or so that I'm not sure he'll hold that record for long. I was going back and looking at what Jimmer Fredette did in college, and you guys remember Jimmer Media, how people were going nuts watching his games at BYU. He was only taken, in his junior year, he was taking five threes a game, and that number got up to eight his senior year. And by today's standards, that's not, I mean, he, everyone remembers him just, you know, launching the second he crossed half court. That's not that excessive, uh, you know, given, given the, uh, the environment in basketball today. So I think it's really just a matter of time before that record's broke. I would tend to agree with that uh, to a certain extent. Uh, however, one of the differences is that I would classify Jimmer as more of a scorer versus McGee being more of just a shooter. Uh, McGee on his career has made about two twos a game, 
Um, I think Jimmer's been way more aggressive getting to the basket and getting to the free throw line in his career. Um, so I think that's one difference. However, I do think somebody will eventually come along. You see guys like Chris Clemens, who's not too far down the list at 440, uh, at 440 made three pointers, who's just a certified scorer at all levels of the court. You know, I think somebody will, will get there eventually. Yeah, Kelly, I, I think the biggest thing to watch to see if that record gets broken is just there just are not that many guys who are so good at that type of skill that is so valued by the NBA right now that will last all four years in college to be able to get to the 500 plus threes that McGee has made. You could see a lot of guys getting maybe close to 300, but the fact that McGee was in college for four years really allowed him to get so many more threes that I don't know if, because teams value the three-point shot so much more, they might see a guy like McGee as a sophomore and say, hey, we could draft him at the end of the first round and he'll be a huge weapon for us. Chris Clemens is the kid from Campbell, right? Yeah. It's kids like that and kids like Fletcher McGee who are at these mid-majors who aren't necessarily the athletes. I mean, Chris Clemens is a hell of an athlete, but he's just undersized. These guys that are at mid-major programs that are you know, given the keys from day one, these are the types of guys who I think will maybe not break the record this year or next year, but in a couple years, I, I think Fletcher McGee will be looking up at someone else who's holding that crown. But but so so moving on, what what are some things you guys are looking for in the Sweet 16 and beyond? Uh, so one thing that I've seen in the past and I'm looking forward to a lot going forward is this uh, the, the different point guard matchups. Uh, so previously in the first two rounds, we had the matchup of John Morant versus Marcus Howard, which was a pretty big one. Um, Jared Harper and Devin Dotson didn't quite live up to the hype because Kansas got blasted from end to end. Josh Perkins versus Makai Mason was also an underrated matchup, I thought personally. Um, but then going forward, I think we've got some, some much better matchups with Virginia Tech versus Duke having Justin Robinson back from injury for Virginia Tech going up against Trey Jones, who a lot of people seem to think is the best defensive point guard. Um, we've got Peyton Pritchard and Ty Jerome. That'll be a, a good battle of some pretty heady, scrappy guards. And then my favorite is uh, Tremont Waters versus Cassius Winston in the uh, LSU versus Michigan State matchup. I think that's going to be a really good matchup. Um, I've been thinking very highly of Tremont Waters and how he's been carrying this team lately. Um, so, yeah. There's also Carson Edwards on Purdue versus Tennessee going up against Jordan Bone. And they might not guard each other, but, you know, Carson Edwards has been on a roll lately. So um, that'll be an interesting matchup. And then lastly, Jared Harper gets another mention going up against North Carolina and Kobe White, who's playing himself into maybe the top eight. So he's looking pretty good. So I think that would be also another interesting matchup. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that you bring up the point guards because just listening to the names and the matchups that you rattled off, there's so many upperclassmen point guards for the teams in the Sweet 16, guys who are juniors and seniors and battle-tested in not just their vigorous and really hard conference play, but the, through the NCAA tournament, you know, Ty Jerome's been in battles. Uh, the guy from Tennessee, as you mentioned, Jordan Bone, Carson Edwards, Peyton Pritchard made it to the Final Four as a freshman. Like, these guys... It brings up a question that we asked Coach Sass last week of, would you rather have a team of upperclassmen or an elite freshman like a Trey Jones or a Kobe White? And I think it's really interesting to see that you can have success with both 
almost like Trey Jones, one of the best defenders at that point guard position. He's only a freshman. So if, if you think about if he stays a year or two, just like what he could be on the defensive end of the floor looking flo- looking forward. But one of the matchups that I want to see is in the West region, which is Florida State versus Gonzaga, which I think are two maybe of the deepest teams in the country. And I think there's going to be a really interesting matchup just, be- just between the two teams, how they play. Gonzaga. <laughs> rematch of last year where Florida State knocked out Gonzaga. I think this is going to be a really interesting one to watch. I think that region's pretty interesting in general how it's Gonzaga Florida State rematch and then Michigan is also in that, you know, that pot again. So we could get that Florida State Michigan rematch again. Uh one of the things I'm I think Florida State has been playing terrific basketball lately and they're, they're big and they're physical and those guys look determined to get back to where they were last year. Um, one of my concerns for them is uh, the absence of Phil Kofer. Uh, he missed the first weekend uh, with that foot soreness, of course, and then his father passing. Uh, so he, it doesn't seem like he's going to be playing for this Sweet 16 matchup. I don't know if that necessarily means he won't be playing for the Elite Eight as well, but uh, that's some size, some skill, and some experience that they could be lacking right there. Um, but I still personally would pick Florida State in that matchup. I think their size is a little too overwhelming for Gonzaga. So. I also think if, if there's one team in the field that would be able to withstand a loss to one of their better players, it would be Florida State, just given how deep they are. And they don't really rely all too much on one guy. So if Phil Kofer were to be out for this weekend, like you said, I, I still personally i would probably favor florida state in that matchup and i had them going to the final four before the tournament started and i feel pretty good about that pick right now but uh one of the things i wanted to go back to jordan tremont waters i think lsu is the team to watch this weekend and a team that could really make a push to uh to minnesota for the final four i feel if tremont waters were 6-2 instead of 5-10 he'd probably be receiving a little more nba hype I just think he's so surgical in the pick and roll. He's a lights out shooter. He he does lack a little bit of athleticism, but I I think he's being a little overlooked. And I just want to see how he matches up with Cassius Winston of Michigan State in the Sweet 16, because those are just two dogs, two absolute dogs that will go at each other. And probably whoever has the better game, their team is going to come out on top. And LSU has ample talent between waters they got Nas reed a jersey kid javante smart skylar mays they have some dudes as well and yes they're missing their head coach which could become a factor as i mean they're facing tom izzo and if they get by michigan state they'll probably have coach k looming but i really think they have the ability to make a final four run but they'll probably need a little bit of help along the way and You know, I just think they match up well with Duke. And of all the teams that are kind of flying under the radar, I mentioned Auburn earlier. I think LSU is in that same discussion as a kind of a dark horse team that is not really being talked about that could make a make a push to uh, to the final four. Yeah. Um, So back to your take on Tremont Waters. I don't think this is a very hot take, but if Tremont Waters were six two, I don't think he'd be in college basketball right now. Fair. Um, He is a very good passer in the pick and roll, as you said, can get his shot off when he really wants to. And he's only about five ten. I've actually had the experience of guarding him and didn't go very well for me. 
Um, but he's actually very athletic. I think, um, you just wouldn't know being five ten. Um, but he can kind of get to where he wants to on the floor. He's very crafty as we saw in that last second shot, just getting to where he wanted to over the six ten guy getting around him and slithering his way to the basket. Um, I think he's the engine for this team. I think that LSU versus Michigan state matchup will be very interesting. Um, however, I think Michigan state is just a much more experienced team. And I think that starts with, uh, with Derek Ward. Nazareth is very talented and I think he's slowly starting to find his motor a little bit. Um, but Derek Ward is a wide man. This, the ceiling, the rim running, the rebounding, everything. I think it's just going to take a toll. Um, Derek, Derek Ward is very experienced and I think it's going to, he's going to take advantage of Nazareth in this, in this situation. Um, Cassius Winston versus Tremont Waters will also be very interesting. Um, Cassius Winston is a great pacemaker for that team, just pushing the ball off makes and misses and throwing it ahead and getting it to his shooters. I think he's a really good player. So I think this will be an interesting matchup. Yeah. I, I think the most interesting part about this matchup besides obviously the point guard battle is that you have one of the best and most successful coaches in all college basketball and Tom Izzo going up against a team without their head coach, which I think will be really interesting to see if, 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 you know, at a certain point in the game where the, however much you want to say coaching goes into the impact of a game, whatever part that is, will be really interesting to see what Izzo Michigan state team can do with such a successful coach versus LSU relying on, there says go true is a good coach, but you know it's it's a lot different when Izzo's been multiple Final Fours and everything. Did you guys you guys saw the Tom Izzo video? How he was going after that freshman? Yeah, yeah. H- how many times has a coach acted that? I f- that people are making a big deal about that. Give me a break, man. Yeah, I think I think people are trying to go back towards the or trying to refrain from that whole Bob Knight style coaching and get towards a more like collaborative process where the coaches are a little bit easier on their players. But I think when it comes to a situation where you're trying to preach accountability, I think sometimes you have to do that. They were on a 10 run at that point. And he was basically saying, I'm not satisfied. You have to do your job. And he didn't physically touch the player. He, uh, he didn't do anything that was overly alarming that I think we as college athletes or even in high school haven't seen. And I think a lot of basketball players would tend to agree with that, but a lot of people looking on the outside would uh, disagree with. So I I don't have an issue with it. The player doesn't seem to have an issue with it. So I think we should just move on from that. Yeah, I mean, I think that this kind of speaks to just what Kelly was saying of moving away from that type of coaching. But I also just think that, you know, Michigan State has been in the news so much the last two years for just so many terrible, terrible things, including things about the basketball program. So I think this is kind of just in the whole grand in the, in the whole grand scheme of things, people are just sick of Michigan State doing things that aren't seen. I mean, like obviously a lot of the stuff with Larry Nasser is never acceptable, but just like even things today, it's like you would think that they would like make sure that everything was like up to total par. And like right on the staying on the straight and narrow, and like they can't go a day. It feels like without some type of athletic scandal, I think it's just a really tough spot for the school. Right off the top, final four picks right now. Go. 
Who you got? Uh, I have North Carolina, Florida State, Michigan State, and Virginia. Well, I got to stick with uh, all my teams are still in from my preview. We're going to go with uh, Michigan State, the Zags, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Dave, I'm right there with you in terms of sticking with my picks, not with the picks themselves. I got Duke, Florida State, Tennessee, and Carolina. And I think Carolina and Duke will match up for the fourth time this season in the championship game. I'm, I'm, I'm still not there. Duke just, Duke just, you know, they were lucky to win last week. They were lucky. And Virginia Tech's already beaten them this year, albeit they didn't have Zion. But, you know, if, if I had to say a team was on upset alert, I would say Duke is on upset alert. Well, you know who else is a lucky team is Tennessee. Yes. Uh, Tennessee gave up a 25-point <laughs> <laughs> a 25 point lead versus Iowa, which was a phenomenal game and they very well could have lost, but uh, he's got them in the final four as well. I think a lot of people didn't think very highly of Tennessee, um, especially losing to Auburn in that SEC championship. Um, but I think they've got a lot of veteran leadership. I don't necessarily think they're going to get past Virginia just because Virginia's length and pack line will probably bother them a little bit too much. Um, but I think Tennessee will, will at least beat Purdue and get to the lead eight and have to deal with Virginia there, and that should still be a pretty entertaining matchup. For sure. All right, so let's take a break, guys. When we'll come back, we'll talk to Jordan a little bit about his experience as a GA and then get some more thoughts from him around the world of basketball. So, Jordan, as a graduate assistant coach, a lot of people don't really know what that means or how people go about getting that type of job. It's it from just the title, it feels like you're senior to a lot of assistant coaches because you know you're a graduate of that level. So, kind of you know explain what the GA position is at St. John's and how you went through the application process to to get that position. So. Um during my senior year of college, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I really wanted to do basketball, I think, but I wasn't sure in what capacity. So um, I spoke to our college coach, and I was asking him for just different connects and different ideas, and he proposed the idea of uh, me being a graduate assistant. Um, and he reached out to one of his closest alums, Greg St. Jean, and um, Greg St. Jean said, we have an open position uh, for a GA spot. So uh, I looked into that and was in contact with him throughout, uh, that spring and was able to land that position, just do a simple application and come in and talk and see the facilities and have a, a pretty informal interview. And I was just very lucky to get that position. So Jordan, you've been a GA St. John's, as we said, this is your first season. You have some experience under your belt. What is the best thing about being a GA and what is the worst thing about being a GA? That's a good one. So probably one of the best things and maybe something that caught me off guard and maybe it isn't the best thing, but just a big change from where I've been is um, the travel um, and how much money they just devote to everything basketball related. Um, coming from the division three ranks, that's not really something you're used to, but 
um, just the travel, just going to the different places in the Big East, you know, going to Wisconsin, Nebraska, just all these different places, even down to Florida, uh, the nice hotels, the food. It's it's all just been kind of it's kind of blown me away. Um, it's very entertaining, um, and if at the Division One level, it's pretty big time. But I can only imagine what it's like at the NBA level. So that's one thing that's that's caught me off guard with uh, moving up to the Division One ranks. Um, the worst thing, one of the worst things I'd probably say is having to deal with. Um, my graduate work. <laughs> I, I thought I was done with school. Um, and you know, not at all. I graduated and sure enough, within two days I was on campus in Queens and I was taking summer classes and, um, the, the film work and just dealing with the players and everything can be a little time consuming. Um, so when you add on the graduate work on top of that, uh, you've got a, you've got a full work week. So, um, I've, I've been able to manage, you know, just with time management skills and things like that. And the teachers are very accommodative with those things just because, you know, the basketball team is kind of the center of the school. So I've been able, that's been able to help me get through, but it's still a little time consuming and you still have to kind of think on two different tracks. Gotcha. So, so kind of, what is your day-to-day like on just a normal day of practice at St. John's? And then what is your, and then how, and then what is it like on a game day? So a normal day with practice would consist of me waking up, uh, probably around about eight, getting over to breakfast and just making sure the guys are getting there and getting the food they need to get. Um, after that kind of just checking their classes, um, they have two morning classes, so we'll check those. And uh, in between checking those, I'll just have time in the office to do my different film work, depending on what games we need to do, uh, organize some things for the scout team, uh, talk to the managers and make sure everything's squared away. Um, and then after that, we'll have practice at 1 o'clock, and we'll usually go in for film before that. So we'll do that, and then we'll go into practice and practice is a lot of fun i get to play a little bit with the guys you know be on the scout team i even once got to be zion which was a ton of fun uh but then we'll do that and then from there they'll they'll take some classes at night i might have a a class at night as well um and that's it so that's a it's a pretty simple pretty simple day just revolves around class and basketball um on a game day on a game day in Queens, um, when we play at Carnesecca Arena, it's, you know, same thing. We wake up, breakfast, classes, make sure they're they're doing what they have to do. Um, and then after class, then we'll just get into our pregame routine, which starts at about 12, 12.30 for a 6.30 game where, you know, we'll work out the, walk, uh, the red shirts our sit-out players, we have three of those guys. We'll work them out. Sometimes we might even play three-on-three three or one-on-one with them, which is a ton of fun. Just get them a game-like workout. Um, and then from there, we'll do our pregame meal, film, and walkthrough. And then from there, it's the hour and a half, two hours leading up to the game. So you'll do whatever the guys need to do to get ready and just help them out. And then we'll go to the game. And then after the game, we've got a pretty lengthy uh, post-game process where we just kind of take note of different things and track our different statistics 
um, and just log those. And uh, then we head head out probably if the game ends at about, say, 9 o'clock, we'll usually head out at about 12 or so after logging all of our post-game things. So um, those, those game days are pretty long, but very worthwhile and a lot of fun. You you guys have a pretty unique staff with two basketball hall of famers on it, so that's that's got to be pretty fun and enjoyable environment to be in. Are there any stories or any fun or funny anecdotes that you could share that kind of encapsulate what what it's like to be on the St. Saint John staff? Yeah, so if you don't know, we have uh, two NBA Hall of Famers on our staff. We have Chris Mullen, our head coach, of course, and then we have Mitch Richmond. Uh, they were both teammates for a while in Golden State. Um, I think they're two of the funniest guys I've ever met personally. Um, every day they're coming in and they're they're looking at CNN and <laughs> just talking to each other and laughing at the news and things like that. Uh, anytime NBA basketball is on and somebody wants to compliment a player, sometimes they might not agree with that and they'll let you know. And you really can't rebut them because that player nine and a half times out of 10 is not better than them. So (laughs) you can't tell them anything, but, um, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. Um, they're both very smart guys. Um, they have a lot of insightful wisdom to, uh, impart on us, but they also just remind us to just, you know, take it easy and kind of just enjoy everything you do. So, um, I think that's the biggest takeaway I have from them. So now, now speaking of someone who is enjoying everything he's doing, Zion Williamson plays with so much joy down at Duke, and you guys had uh, had the opportunity to play against them this this season. So, being on the bench, courtside for the Zion show, kind of explain to the people listening what Zion is like in person you know so i i saw zion's hoop mixtape when he was you know 16 or whatever and i was like wow this kid's pretty athletic and but i also thought where is he playing in south carolina versus you know some maybe maybe questionable competition so i was like okay he's pretty athletic for somebody of that age that's you know that's cool he's got a little bit of baby fat and things like that and he gets to duke I watched a couple of their games. I watched them blast Kentucky first game of the season and we're, we're kind of quietly preparing for them all season, you know, just watching them loosely, but, you know, paying attention, of course, to what we have right in front of us. And as I start, I usually handle our personnel clips. So as I'm looking through these personnel clips, I'm watching clips of him first Virginia, just going downhill, changing directions and, having all these athletic finishes, I was like, wow, this is actually going to be tough to stop. We might have maybe two guys on our roster, maybe who might be able to somehow stay in front of that, even if they're however many feet off of him and not respecting his jump shot. So going into the warmups, we saw him. Um, he was, he's, he's wide. He's very wide. Thick. It's, <laughs> Yes, he's 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 thick. His legs are are massive. He looks like he's got he's like Iron Man. <laughs> it, and it sounds like an exaggeration, but when you see him in person, he's he's massive. And so we start out that game in his own. 
uh, at one point he hits a three and where our, our game plan is to sag off of him and you just see him just talking trash down the court to our player who's sagging off of him after he hits that three because he knows his biggest knock is his shooting and he knows people are going to disrespect him and he lets you know when you disrespect him and he hits that three and that was one thing I really liked was just his level of competitiveness and the as you said the the level of joy he has um playing the game is unmatched I haven't really seen somebody that competitive at a point they were up 30 points on us and coach K subbed him out with five minutes left you know he didn't want him to get hurt and Zion's over by our bench at this point he subs him out and he he was angry he was he was angry and he stormed over to the bench but you gotta love that level of competition um athletically I tell people this and they probably think I'm crazy. I think he's the greatest athlete we've ever seen just from a physical standpoint. You'll never see anybody. It might be a hot take. You'll never see anybody of that size move that quickly at all times. He's the quickest player on the court. He jumps the highest. He's, he's the strongest. He's, he's got all of those attributes down to a T. Um, he went at one of our big guys who's actually a very, very good perimeter defender went at him downhill in and out crossover and just blew by him. Like he was on his heels, just right by him straight into the air for a finish. One of our guys goes up for a layup, volleyball spiked into the fifth row. One of our guys gets a rebound. He comes from behind him, steals crossover and one finish shoots up into the air so quickly, so aggressively. And you know, you can have a game plan, but there's there's just really nothing you could do with a guy like that. And again, you see that yesterday with them playing Central Florida. If you don't think he can do these things in the league, he went over a seven six guy yesterday. Like he's done some pretty impressive things that you you just can't you can't you can't even like fathom at times. So um, I think he's the real deal and not giving him a shot at the number one pick would just be heinous. But I think everybody realizes that by this point, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player because he's a gamer. I think he's definitely special and the extent of how great he can be, I think will come down a lot to how much he can master that jump shot and how effective he can be shooting from the outside. But I want to get your thoughts on a couple guys who you have some experience facing this year. Both I think are pretty unique NBA prospects and I think both have the potential to be microwave offense at the next level. And one we kind of already touched on a little bit. But just speak to Marcus Howard and Miles Powell and how you think they project at the next level. All right. So Marcus Howard, uh, very good player. Um, we, we, when we were scouting them, we saw him play Buffalo, score 40 and a half. You get an idea of what he's like. And then you see him in person and you realize he's actually only 5'10". And it just makes it much more impressive the things he's doing at that height. But you always wonder, will they project at the next level? Um, As a lot of people on my staff say, he's playing his best basketball. He probably can't can't play much better than he's playing. He's shooting about 43% from three, high volume off the dribble, all of that. I think his jump shot is, is, is very good. He's actually a better finisher than a lot of people will give him credit for, uh, for somebody who shoots that well, especially he's very quick to the basket. I don't know how well that will project at the next level. He's going to have to in the pick and roll 
uh, start to develop better reads and things like that. But um, I think somebody will give him a shot personally. Um, I think he can become a backup point guard maybe. Um, so he's, he's a, he's definitely a very good player. Um, we, we always have to put somebody who's six five on him and we put our guy, Justin Simon, who's the defensive player of the year on him. Um, and we gave him trouble two times, um, where he really couldn't get a clean look at the basket. But my thought is if you put anybody much smaller than that on him, he's, he's going to get loose. And it kind of, it kind of reminds me of Trey Young a little bit. Um, in that regard, just being able to get his shot up over much bigger guys with a quick trigger. So um, he has a shot. I think it'll be very interesting to see. Um, Miles Powell is one of the most competitive guys we had to play. Um, we didn't get to see too much of it because we had to face guard him. Uh, because when he touches the ball, dangerous things happen. And I think the Seton Hall team offensively wasn't very talented, but he was so good and he was so competitive and he lifted up the play of his teammates. He wasn't just a scorer. He wasn't just a shooter. When he gets the ball in his hands, he's good in pick and roll. He makes really good passes. Um, he's phenomenal coming off of staggers and shooting the ball going in either direction. Um, he's, he's just a very all-around good basketball player and solid finisher at the rim, of course, too. Competes on defense, although he doesn't have the greatest tools. Um, I don't think he's getting much love right now um, from scouts or any any sites that are projecting. I don't think he's, he's getting any attention, even in big boards when it comes to, you know, top 100 and things like that. But I, it wouldn't seem like he's going to get drafted. I think he's going to – I think he'll end up being a two-way deal kind of guy. Um and I think he'll have an opportunity to come off the bench and kind of just, you know, be a shooter, shooter scorer for a team. Um, I think he'll be given that opportunity. So. Yeah. So, so the last question I have for you, Jordan, is obviously you've been immersed in the college game basically since you took the job uh, in June of last of last year. So, from what little NBA basketball you've been able to watch and follow. Who is your favorite for MVP this season? My favorite for MVP, I always hate to say it, but it's got to be James Harden, I think. Just the numbers he's putting up are phenomenal. You know, 61 twice, It's the numbers he's putting up are crazy. And, I mean, granted, the style of play is, is much different than any other team he's He's been doing some crazy teams and kind of willing his team lately. So uh, I'd probably have to give it to James Harden reluctantly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Jordan. It was, we love talking shop with you. Thanks for having me. I hope to be back soon. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. That'll do it for episode 12 of the double double. Please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. How many stars? Five stars only. We can also be found on Spotify. And if you want to leave us any feedback, tweet at us, dbl underscore dbl podcast, or email us, double double four zero two at gmail.com. We might be doing some mailbag episodes, so send in your questions. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Take care and, and make it a great day.